Hello and welcome to the CFB Winning Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, and Xavier Trish, Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. Nick, are you ready for the Bulls to start? I'm ready. I, I'm ready to get going. It's been it's been a bit of a week, you know. I've been uh, traveling, having to uh, decorate for Christmas and and all that sort of stuff. And I'm ready to to sit down and think about college football and only college football for a little bit. That's uh, I'm a little out of my comfort zone uh, doing things, you know, out there in the real world. Happy to get back in my wheelhouse here a little bit better. <laughs> and Nick, or, or excuse me, and Xavier, uh, finals are over. It's time to go. Are you ready? Man, I'm ready. I uh, I can't imagine what life is like without school right now. It's just bliss. It's pure bliss. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm ready for bowl season. I'm ready to kick my feet up and watch football while eating chips while they fall on my belly. Um, <laughs> Nick, really? To be a, you know... I know putting up Christmas tree light, Christmas trees and lights is difficult, but you know, hey, that's the real world stuff. You're good at it. We're good. And look, the well, older I mean, you get, the 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 more the mundane tasks become <laughs> terrible. I, I don't I don't want to to steer us too far off off uh, <laughs> on a tangent here, but uh, this is my second Christmas now in New England, and and really the first time spending any time up here uh, before moving here, and and it, it's. It's different. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you guys have ever watched the uh, uh, any of those Hallmark movies. My wife loves them. They're on all the time. I thought that was just like, oh, you know, this is just made up, obviously. This place doesn't exist. Nope, that's where we live now. We live in a Hallmark movie. Uh, we had to go out and cut a Christmas tree down. It snowed like eight inches last night, by the way. So I uh, did that today. Had to saw it, you know, with a... Uh, with an old uh, uh, rusty uh, saw that uh, oh man it's <laughs> it's uh, uh, it had to had to haul it up two flights of stairs on my way in I'm not as young as I used to be so I looking slept forward to until looking forward to talking about some bowl games I slept until 10:30 today if that makes you feel any better Nick. <laughs> so just so just so you know and that that's me waking up early. On a on a, a Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day it is here, so uh, yeah, I got up early. I mean, look, I didn't go to bed till five, so uh, th- there's there's also that. You know, um, got got a lot of work to do this time of year. College football still going on, baseball's ramping up, basketball's in mid season. You know, um, all, all that stuff. Uh, championship week for uh, NFL fantasy, so. There's just a lot of stuff going on right now, oh, but yeah. uh, before- and Xavier's got a lot of chips to eat. So Xavier's got all them chips he's got to eat. Today we're going to be talking about the Bulls, of course, but we're also going to be talking about uh, some coaching changes, the Army Navy game, a little bit of the signing day, and then we're going to get to the Bulls. So uh, let's start out with the Army Navy game. Uh, it was complete and utter domination. Malcolm Perry had an enormous game as Navy goes thirty-one-seven over army and nick what did you think of this game well i uh what i saw of it was was just a, a small window unfortunately uh i actually uh, had a, a different impression because i i saw uh army drive down score take a seven nothing lead and i thought all right you know things are things are looking pretty good here at the end of the first quarter army's got a uh, little bit of a cushion. It's been a slow-moving game. It's playing out pretty similarly to how we uh, talked about last week. And then next thing I know, there goes Malcolm Perry. You know, 
55 yard touchdown uh tied it up and then from then on it was it was just navy complete dominance i mean they uh certainly were uh the better team i mean army unfortunately really was uh you know it was a, a very disappointing year for them uh, came in with with such high hopes uh we had them favored in i think 10 regular season games and they only actually won five so that's that's a bit of a disappointment but navy uh defense was was uh great again they've made so much uh improvement on that side of the ball and then perry so much fun to watch i'm really excited we get to see him uh at least one more time and i think he's uh Fortunately, it sounds like he's going to have an opportunity to uh, see what he can do at the, at the next level, which, of course, is rare for um, guys that, that play in this game. So 300 yards on the ground, two touchdowns. Uh, Jamel Carruthers scored a couple of times again, one on the ground, uh, one on a one-yard touchdown reception. So uh, great all-around performance from Navy. Uh, biggest win of the year for them, as always. Uh, when they when they can do it and, and uh, hey they captured that that trophy beat both the the top rivals this year so congrats to Navy dominant performance uh, and uh, you know on to the bowl for them Xavier what do you see in the Army Navy game like Nick I didn't get to watch it all that much um, but it it went pretty much how I thought it would go we talked last week about you know it's a rivalry game and you know how that may have an impact on the outcome of the game but. I was very steadfast in, on how good Navy was, um, and there's a reason why they are they finished ranked 23rd. Uh, they they dominated this ball game. They held Army to under 300 yards of total offense, um, and I know that's not overly impressive because of the way Army plays. But the fact that you know they ran for them, they for themselves had over 400 yards of total offense, and uh, Malcolm Perry alone dominated the entire ball game. Uh, really puts a puts a a damper on the end of Army season. I know they wouldn't have gone to a bowl game even with a win, but uh, to get stomped by your rival like this is never a fun thing. For Navy, they continue to they continue to uh, play well, and their next game is against Kansas State. Uh, I know we'll talk about that later, but you know that that's definitely a confidence booster going into that a, a game against a Power Five team, or not a Power Five, but yeah, another Power Five team. Uh, so. Uh, I didn't get to see any of that game. All I saw was the dirty, dirty uh, juke move that Malcolm Perry put on a uh, Army linebacker, which was incredible. And hopefully, I mean, I don't, obviously he's not going to play quarterback in the NFL, but uh, hopefully he can find a little more success than Keenan Reynolds had uh, when he moved on to the next level. But let's talk about some of the coaching changes because we dabbled in it a little bit at the end of the show last week. But I know Nick wanted to talk about them, and we had a couple big ones. We'll talk about those first, of course, and then if you guys want to throw in anything on the other guys, we had uh, Mike Norvell taking over for Willie Taggart at Florida State, Lane Kiffin going to Ole Miss uh, for a fired Matt Luke, Eli Drinkwitz, uh, the App State head coach, taking over for Barry Odom at Missouri, uh, Jimmy Lake moving in for Chris Peterson after this bowl game uh, at Washington, and then uh, Greg Schiano going home to Rutgers, uh, taking over for Chris uh, Ash. So, um, which one of these were are you most excited about, Nick? And what did you think of the other ones as well? Well, it's interesting you you use the word excited. I don't know honestly that I'm excited about any move this year. Just just over, you know. I, I remember a few years ago. Um, actually, this has been 
well, almost a decade ago now, but uh, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was uh, so excited about an up and coming Gus Malzahn. And I, you know, there have been other other coaches along the way that uh, got me very, really, really excited. I mean, this time last year, I was really excited about um, uh, Chip Kelly, or, or two years ago, I know, really excited about Chip Kelly, really excited about Scott Frost. Wanted to see what they could do uh, at Nebraska and UCLA. Obviously, it has not <laughs> quite played out uh, for either of those. Uh, so maybe it's you know maybe it's a good thing for for these schools that I'm not all excited about about anybody. But uh, I think the most intriguing at this point one lane kiffin just seems like the absolute perfect fit for Ole miss i mean he just from a personality standpoint some of the things we've seen uh you know the video everybody's seen and discussed already the uh the guy that gives him his baby and then tells him to make sure he's got a burner you know and and just just the the uh personality match is is pretty perfect, I think, for the Ole Miss fan base and Lane Kiffin, and and he's a pretty good play caller as well, good recruiter. So it's it's going to definitely uh, be very interesting to see if he can sort of follow what Hugh Freeze did there in the in the early uh, years of his tenure, where he just completely raised the talent level. I think uh, Lane Kiffin has that ability um you know hopefully it, it turns out better than it did uh for freeze uh or for l or for Ole Miss under freeze when obviously he left under a bit of a cloud so i'm i'm perhaps most intrigued by that move i think mike norvell might be the best coach of this group um, he has done some really, really good things at Memphis. I know people have been uh, very uh, complimentary of him, not only as a play caller but a player developer. I mean, they've they've been you know just finding these incredible athletes at running back and receiver and guys that can play multiple roles. Special teams have they've been very explosive returning kicks there. So uh, we'll be excited to see him with what should be you know, more raw talent available. Uh, so can he sort of take the next step and develop those players better than Willie Taggart was? And and before, you know, uh, are they going to be able to, to sort of uh, do, you know, he's done more with less, so to speak. Is he going to be able to still do more with more? I'm, I'm intrigued to see how that plays out. Um, at Missouri, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant about, Drinkwitz. Uh, he also is is a uh, you know has a great background as a play caller, but he has only uh, been a head coach for one year, and he inherited about as good of a situation as you could hope for. I mean, App State was uh, clearly the premier Sun Belt team, uh, and and he was handed you know a, a championship winning program on a silver platter. Didn't have to you know, recruit any of the, the big time playmakers, um, didn't really have to change up much, didn't have to develop much. So uh, I don't, I didn't learn very much about Drinkwitz. Uh, I, you know, he certainly has, uh, was impressive enough to, to get this job. I mean, he, he, you know, certainly didn't screw it up at App State. They, they uh, <laughs> were great this year. Uh, but 
I, I just didn't, I don't know that I learned enough about him as a, as a program builder. Uh, and, and that's something that he's going to have to do. Missouri is, is at a pretty uh, disadvantageous position in the SEC as far as talent goes. Um, and it was sort of an odd transition there. I know that uh, Stephen Godfrey at the Banner Society talked about, you know, his reporting was that Barry Odom didn't really wasn't even in, in danger but he wanted a you know vocal sign of support from the administration, and for whatever reason they didn't give him that. So he just kind of almost spoke his own firing into existence. <laughs> uh, and then the the search was a little bit weird. That the uh, the Missouri athletic director took a, a list of names to you know the powers that be. The athletic director is supposed to be the the powers that be, but you know obviously more people are involved, and and uh, you know some of the the. Uh, decision makers there weren't impressed, so he had to go back to the drawing board, and eventually they land on Drinkwit. So it's it's just a it's there are a lot of unknowns there. He's going to have to raise the talent level. He's going to have to uh, establish himself as a as a head coach. Uh, this is his second first year, but you know these are the only two. Uh, it, it will only be his second year as a head coach. So a lot of unknowns with him. Um, at Washington, it seems like Jimmy Lake, that's going to be a smooth transition. You know, look from the outside looking in, seems like it's going to be about as good as you could hope for. And I think there is some optimism that Lake might actually be able to elevate Washington, take him maybe to uh, another level, bring in uh, somebody on the offensive side of the ball to kind of give that uh, offense a bit of a, a rejuvenation because they need it. Um, and then Rutgers. Another weird search, uh, but uh, you know, Shiano has one there. He knows the program well, uh, and so he's got a long, long way to climb to get that program back to respectability. Has to raise the talent level uh, because this wasn't a Big Ten level team. I mean, from a talent standpoint, from a team performance standpoint. They, they were about as bad as it gets at the Power 5 level. And so he's got a long way to go, but uh, he, he's got a, a winning pedigree. He's got, obviously, a, a NFL pedigree, uh, and he's had success at Rutgers. He knows what it takes. So uh, if they are patient and you know give him time, then, then perhaps he can get it pointed in the right direction. But a uh, um, bit of a weird search. Uh, you know, I, I know that the fans there were really excited about Shiano, and it looked like he uh, was out for you know 48 hours or whatever, and then all of a sudden he's named head coach because of uh, some fan pressure. It sounded like so uh, interesting situation, one to watch from afar, but I think it's going to take some time there. Uh, but for this group, these five probably most intrigued by Kiffin, but I think Norvell might be uh, the best coach overall with maybe Lake uh, potentially has a chance to, to become that best coach. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to see what Norvell can do with all the talent at Florida state. Xavier, which one of these five was your favorite? Oh, definitely lane um, <laughs> by a long shot. First off, you know, you get a guy with that kind of pedigree back in the sec. Um, the last time he was here, he was ran out of town. Um, and I think more so than anything, we get Lane in the same division as uh, his former boss. I'm um, a boss that he slandered, that he, you know, was was very blunt about, you know, disliking in his time working under uh, Saban at Alabama. Um, he spent a couple of years at FAU, turning that program into the powerhouse that they were uh, winning. I think was it back to back conference championships? Two out of three. Okay, 
And uh, now he's he's back in the SEC with a program that needs a little bit of a revamping, but has won on the recruiting trail in some um, in some aspects. You know, he he gets into he gets a team that has a starting quarterback um, and has a guy who they believe in in Plumlee. Um, you know, even if he doesn't necessarily like Plumlee, he has another quarterback who may stay in Corral um, that he can con- if he can convince to do that as well. I think that you know he can turn Ole Miss back into what. Uh, they expect it to be, um, and uh, they they feel like they can be. Um, currently, they're most people would probably say they're the second best in the state, um, and their job is to get back to number one in the state. And I think he can do that. Um, the other one that I would say I'm most excited for is Greg Schiano at Rutgers, um, just because I like I love the story. I think that uh, you know, and I, and I want him to succeed, especially after what happened at uh, Tennessee. Essentially, him being fan pressured out of that job. Um, and then and, and going uh, and now ending up fan, being fan pressured into the Rutgers job. Um, I think that uh, it's a per- I think it's a good fit, um, in my opinion. I think that he has more than enough experience. And I think that, if anything, those kids up there who watched him and grew up watching Rutgers being, you know, formidable under him would, will help them on the recruiting trail um, this year and obviously next year. Um, and I, just, I, want him to, I want to see him succeed. If anything, to stick a middle finger up to Tennessee. Um, you know, that so... <laughs> Uh, any, anything to make Tennessee cry. So if, he can, if they can win eight games next year in the Big Ten, that would be bliss um, to see them cry over that, especially if they didn't go to a bowl game next year. So those two in particular. We all know it's just not football season unless Rutgers is making a run at it anyway. So, uh, <laughs> you picked them week one for a, for a pick them this year, sir. So. <laughs> and, and did, did they win that week one? Didn't they beat UMass or whoever it was yeah, week one? Yeah, they did, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, look, look, I'm not saying that they're amazing. I'm saying they could beat UMass, which who can't, <laughs> you know, but uh, there were some other changes Akron. here. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How many didn't Rutgers win or UMass win two or three games this, this year? Who did Just they one. They, they lost their game against an FCS team, oh. but they beat Akron. Akron. Oh, oh. the Zips. Well, the Zips won no games, right? Weren't they? That's Oprah? correct. So. I won 12. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we had other um, <laughs> we had other head coaching changes here, and uh, the first one, App State, where Sean Clark, the OC, just steps in to become the head coach there. Arkansas, we talked about this last week. Sam Pittman, the uh, UGA O line coach, taking over for Chad Morris. Uh, Jeff Halfley, the Ohio State defensive coordinator, going to be the head coach at Boston College. Uh, Mike Bobo out, Steve Adazio from Boston College in at Colorado State. Uh, Willie Taggart's taking over for Lane Kiffin over at FSU or at FAU. At Fresno State, uh, Jeff Tedford gone in Kalen DeBoer, uh, the Indiana OC uh, for Memphis. Ryan Silverfield, the Memphis O-line coach, is taking over for Mike Norvell. Danny Gonzalez, the Arizona State defensive coordinator, taking over for Bob Davey. At New Mexico, Old Dominion gets Ricky Rain, the Penn State OC. Uh, Marcus Arroyo, the Oregon OC, takes over for Tony Sanchez, the UNLV. Uh, Charlie Strong out, and Jeff Scott, the Clemson co-offensive coordinator, in as head coach for South Florida. And Frank Wilson out at UTSA, and in Jeff Trailer, the Arkansas running back slash assistant head coach, in at UTSA. Um, Nick, what are your thoughts um, on any of these jobs here? Well, uh, probably the the one that again is is most intriguing might be Boston College. Um, Steve Adazio just sort of you know couldn't get over the hump there, couldn't win more than 
seven games and uh, sort of odd <laughs> that he ended up at Colorado State. I think we mentioned it just briefly, but um, you know, Jeff Halfley uh, uh, did some really good things at Ohio State this year. This was his first year, uh, if I if I uh, understand correctly, and and uh, you know he he uh, was given an opportunity basically couldn't refuse and and Boston College is uh a you know they they're not going to uh bring in big uh highly recruited you know highly rated uh five star type guys so you have to be a little different there i wonder what they're going to be able to do you know what what's he going to uh bring in offensively uh obviously he is coaching in uh the playoff he said that he's not leaving ohio state to uh get started full time at at bc just yet so uh, starting you know perhaps a little bit uh slower than some of these guys that are are you know jumping in and and uh, ready to go day one at the new job he's got to sort of split his split his time a little bit um so it's it's going to be interesting to see what sort of staff does he put together what can they do uh that's different to be able to to you know compete in the acc obviously uh they've been a bowl type team they will be in a bowl playing in a bowl um this year but they you know bc we've seen them be uh uh, a, a program capable of, of pulling off a big upset. We've seen them be a top 25 type program in the last decade or so. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm most intrigued by that. What are, what are they going to look like? Who can they become? And Jeff Halfley, you know, don't really know much about him. He, he uh, like I said, first time as the, uh, you know, a premier uh, level defensive coordinator, uh, is he ready for something like this, a power five type job? So in, intrigued by that for sure. Memphis uh, was a very, very attractive job that has become one of, you know, the, the premier teams, premier programs at the group of five level. And a lot of that has to do with Justin Fuente, but but Mike Morvell really did help uh, sort of take things to the next level the last couple of years and, and this year uh, is basically the, the best uh, season in program history, I think is, is fair to say. So Ryan Silverfield getting the uh, promotion is good for continuity, but similar, like we talked about Sam Pittman, he, he's an offensive line coach, uh, not a coordinator. What, you know, uh, is, is he ready? And I, I read a little bit about him a, a couple of days ago and, and sounds like, you know, similar to Pittman, this is like a dream job type situation. So you, you have to feel good about it. Uh, very enthusiastic, as you would expect. Um, so from a transitional standpoint, have to think that that that's a good thing. Um, hopefully he'll be able to, to keep that job, uh, you know, keep that program uh, humming along it, it's it's uh, more difficult to stay on top than it is to get on top you know get to the top so um, definitely intrigued to see uh, where that goes and, and a couple of for whatever reason Mountain West jobs are, are just sort of of interest to me UNLV we've heard so much about okay this is maybe a sleeping giant at the at the group of five level they're sharing a stadium with the Raiders next year and they're you know Las Vegas, from a talent standpoint, has really uh, come up in the world uh, from a, from a recruiting 
standpoint. So there's, you know, there are players there nearby uh, California, easy access to Southern California talent. So is this a, a situation where we could see UNLV really take a step up? Marcus Arroyo wasn't, you know, beloved by uh, Oregon fans early in the year. They've, they've certainly come on strong and he does some, has done some good things. And, and Justin Herbert obviously is, is a uh, very talented player and, and wasn't a super uh, well-known big time recruit. So, you know, Arroyo probably had something to do with helping him uh, elevate his level of play, but um, that one is intriguing. And, and for whatever reason, New Mexico intrigues me a little bit because uh, they had such a, a horrible stint uh, when Mike Loxley was there. Bob Davey came in, shook things up sort of unexpectedly. They came out with this uh, almost triple option type offense and, and had some success early, but they have really, really fallen off. This past year, they recruited um, like 75% Juco guys, so the roster is not very talented but it's also kind of old so it's almost a uh you know that the cupboard is is not super full there but danny gonzalez you know part of uh these uh new head coaches you you sort of uh look for situations where does this guy fit the job and does he really really want the job well gonzalez is from new mexico played at new mexico uh, he's a defensive coordinator with a strong track record, did some really, really good things at San Diego State, and Arizona State was pretty good uh, on defense his, his first two years. Plays a 3-3-5, sort of a unique style, uh, you know, more commonplace today maybe than it was when he when he first started coming up as a D.C., but um, they're going to be interesting. You know, he wants to be there. Uh, this is not a, a an elite job even at the Mountain West conference level, you know, not a not a uh, premium G5 job, but what can he do? Can he elevate it? Um, and, and similar to Halfley, what's he going to do on offense? New Mexico has an opportunity. You know, they played that really, really unique style under Davey the first few years. Are they going to do something like that? Are they going to, you know, go at one extreme or the other, uh, spread it out, uh, you know, five wide, air raid, whatever, you know, whatever, or are they going to you know, do option sort of stuff? Or, or are we going to see something similar to what we've seen at Arizona State and San Diego State, where he coached most recently, which are more of that pro style? That would be a little bit of a disappointment, probably. But uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see uh, where they go just you know, from the outside looking in, it's it's going to be a total, total rebuild there at New Mexico. But it seems like Maybe they've got the the guy that that can put enough of himself in it to help elevate that program. So those are the three that that stick out to me. Xavier, you have any opinions on these other coaching jobs? Um, honestly, I I, I love the idea that Taggart gets a restart. Um, I think that he jumped into the FSU job a little bit haphazardly. Um, after only one year at Oregon, I felt that it was too big of a step for him. Um. And now he kind of gets to do what Lane did a little bit. Go to FAU. He's inheriting one heck of a good team. Um, and you know when you he's getting a bins, just don't crash it. Um, and I think that that's something that you know he can definitely do. Um, I'm expecting him to t- kind of remake himself in this time frame. Um, obviously, Sam Pittman at Arkansas um, as a guy who has watched him transform uh, Georgia's O line into probably the best uh, O line in the country, you know, or top three for the last three or four, last two or three seasons. Um, him getting a job at Arkansas 
you know, I, I did say that Arkansas needs to go back to their roots a little bit um, when they were under, was it, was it Bielema? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Before, and, and, before and, Morris. Yeah. Yeah. And, and run the football a little bit more. I, I think that Arkansas, obviously their best, the best part of Arkansas history was Darren McFadden and running the football down people's throats. I think Sam Pittman's going to bring that intensity, that physicality to that team. That's going to make Arkansas, if not immediately better, immediately more competitive. And I think that that's something that they're looking for. Um, obviously the last couple of years for Arkansas have not been good. They haven't been competitive. They haven't been good. Uh, the, the most competitive game they had over the last two years was with Texas A&M. Uh, I don't know how they pulled those off, but in both games, I believe they still lost. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see Sam Pittman in a head coaching role. I think that he um, he's one heck of a recruiter as well. Um, that was one thing that really scared a lot of Georgia fans when he did leave was that a lot of our offensive linemen recruits were going to switch uh, and go to Arkansas or go to a different team because of how good of a recruiter and uh, just as good of a guy as Sam Pittman is. So I'm really excited to see what he does down there in Arkansas. Um, obviously, hopefully he stays down there long enough to obviously play Georgia. That would be fun. Uh, but uh, those two th- those two in particular were the ones that really uh, kind of show for me. So. So quickly, Nick, uh, the uh, recruiting class, the signing day is today. What are your uh, quick thoughts on some of the recruiting class from today? Well, so I, I am, am uh, pretty blind to recruiting until signing day. And, and I, I haven't gone through and entered all the uh, players into our team profiles and all that sort of stuff just yet. I, I uh fill in a lot of my uh, knowledge there in, in the spring, but I uh, did want to touch on a few things because uh, as I'm learning more about these players, it's interesting to, to sort of think of where these classes uh, sort of start. And, and some of these teams still have the opportunity to, to um, make up some ground if, if you know they're not where they want to be at this point because we still do have the February signing day. But um, obviously the, the top five, according to 247 Sports, that's where we get most of our, uh, or that's where when we use our, our build our player rating model, uh, uh, we start with the 247 composite. And uh, the top five classes, to the surprise of no one, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, and Georgia. Uh, and uh, some others that, that just sort of, jumped out at me based on where they were ranked. Um, one, Auburn, I, I did sort of scroll through and noticed uh, that they are hitting the the junior college ranks really, really heavy, especially on the offensive line. They've got three of the top six uh, offensive tackle Juco products uh, signed uh, or, or at least committed. It looks like two have signed and, and one is still uh, committed. So they're really going to try to rebuild that offensive line quickly because they're losing five senior starters. So uh, that's a huge need, of course. Uh, I've heard some good things about Nebraska. Uh, they finished with the number 20 class or currently have the number 20 class, brought in uh, a couple of exciting athletes today, including uh, one that just, you know, that the, the uh, commentators that uh, I'll, I'll defer to at the at the moment. The guys on uh, CBS uh, Sports HQ were just raving about uh, some of the speed that they brought in today. So that'll be intriguing. Uh, Stanford, something weird is going on at Stanford. They've lost so many uh, graduate transfers or or guys, you know, testing out the transfer portal. There's uh, some some conflict uh, conflicting information on whether or not those guys are definitely gone or not, but uh, something like uh, half a dozen 
starters uh, or, or key contributor type guys and then uh, closing in on double digits, I believe, if, if not up to maybe uh, 10, 11, 12 uh, guys in the portal at the moment. But they still are able to bring in a top 25 class. Uh, Georgia Tech is, is somebody I'm really interested to dive into in the offseason. Uh, Jeff Collins, we knew he was going to recruit well, and he's got a top 25 class. And then Maryland made a big splash, apparently flipped a, a LSU commit five-star receiver uh, that really helped elevate their uh, class standing. Last I checked, they were 27th. So uh, those were some on the, on the good side, interesting classes, interested to, to dive into those and learn more about those guys. And then on the other, you know, the flip side, I've kept an eye out on, on Arizona a little bit. They're just barely in the top 70. I know they're hitting the JUCO uh, ranks really, really hard, trying to rebuild that thing quickly. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of optimism there. Uh, USC, talk about lack of optimism. The uh, Any of the, the fans or, or you know team sites and stuff like that that I follow uh, on it Twitter, USC. Central for USC. Oh, man. Right now. The, the, everything is on fire. Uh, they're 78th in the country. Last I saw and last in the Pac-12, something like the top. <laughs> they're Will Ferrell 15. from, uh, uh, they're Will Ferrell from, what's the movie? Uh, the basketball movie, Jackie Moon. Oh, uh, semi-pro. Semi-pro. Yeah. Everybody yeah. panic. Oh my <laughs> God. That's USC fans right now. Oh man. They're, it's, you know, the, the, something I saw like the top 12 or 15 recruits in the state of California, all, uh, are going out of state, not just, you know, not to USC, but out of state. So uh, really, you know, want to keep an eye on that situation because they're bringing back a lot of talent. And, you know, Helton's back. They were able to to keep uh, Graham Harrell, apparently, the offensive coordinator. So they have an opportunity, I think, to have a really good year uh, coming up. We'll learn more about that in the in the coming months of course but uh you know this is not a good sign this is a very very bad sign they've always had tons and tons of talent on that roster uh and and right now they're certainly last year was was a disappointment this year uh as of right now very very disappointing and then missouri and arkansas you know we're, we're used to every sec team being a top 50 type team arkansas last year uh, I don't know if they finished in the top 25, but spent a good portion of, of uh, the weeks and months leading up to signing day in the top 25. So um, those two teams do not uh, do not have the talent of, of the, uh, you know, the Georgias, the Floridas, the Al- uh, Alabama, Auburn, LSU. And that gap's only going to get wider if these teams with new head coaches can't, uh, you know, put some some talent back in and uh uh mizzou number 80 arkansas number 87 i think they spent most of the today at like 112 or something so they obviously added a few names there at the end but uh i'll learn more about the the players and you know who's who's uh most talented who's going to make a uh instant impact but just sort of quickly scanning those were some of the the teams that jumped out to me both good and bad Xavier, uh, what about you in the recruiting class so far? I think it's really telling uh, that Texas has the big has the best recruiting class in the Big Twelve right now. Um, you know they're, they're coming off of a, a an underwhelming year, yet they have <laughs> top ten. <laughs> <class>. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have they have a top ten class. 
they're ahead of a team in Oklahoma who's in the playoff right now. I mean, I think just that that, that speaks to um, Tom Herman and what he's done and the job he's done at Texas right now. Um, as Scott said earlier in the conversation we had, hopefully these guys can tackle. Um, but <laughs> for me, I, I think that's very impressive to have a down year and still be able to perform on the recruiting trail. Another team, obviously, that has performed on a recruiting trail once again with a with an okay season is texas texas a&m uh you know they're currently sitting at six according to 247 and and jimbo and those guys continue the streak that sumlin had uh, which is essentially they, they bring in good players now can those good players transfer into wins we'll have to see uh but they have successfully been in the top 10 recruiting classes i believe for the last three years um and i think that that speaks to the kids wanting to go to a&m uh, and I think that that also speaks to Jimbo's ability to recruit, obviously. Um, I think, and, and then the SEC has done an amazing job in, in the recruiting trail this year. Uh, and when you have the likes of Tennessee and South Carolina, both of which have had okay years, South Carolina won't even be in a bowl game in your top 20. I know that a lot of people like to speak on the fact that there's a lot of SEC bias, but the SEC isn't all that great. But when you go to the recruiting trail, you couldn't, you couldn't say that whatsoever. Um, they have three teams in the top five, five teams in the top 10, and uh, seven teams in the top 20. So I think that that speaks to how kids, at least right now, look at the SEC as a whole and want to play against that competition week in and week out. Um, the last team I'll speak on is Miami. That's another one of those teams that has had a bad year, but I, their pedigree speaks for themselves. Um, and it allows them to uh, to get these players. Um, hopefully they can go ahead and right the ship because – Football is better. College football is better when Miami is better. Um, and I think that, you know, bringing in a, a t- right, right now, which is 17th recruiting class, and it's only early signing day. We still have one more signing day to go. Uh, hopefully they can continue to ascend and uh, finish with a good recruiting class. Oh, the last part is I, I loved what Emmett Smith, Emmett Smith said to his son on a national television today, uh, supporting his son going to Stanford. I know a lot of Florida fans were unhappy with his son going to Stanford instead of Florida. Uh, but I really, I really liked what he said about, um, this is my son's decision. I'm still going to be a Gator, but, um, he's a, he, he's a Cardinal and we support him 110%. So, um, I, I really like that. Uh, cause you see here all the time about crazy parents on signing days, withholding information. <laughs> the Alex Collins saga is the one that comes to mind. He had to drive, drive it to another state to get his dad to sign a, uh, letter of intent because his mom didn't want him to go to Arkansas. I mean, you just hear it all the time. Uh, you see it on national television with the Under Armour All-American game. They'll walk off the screen while their son picks up an Alabama hat because they wanted him to go to LSU. So uh, to see a parent support his son, even that though he's not going to Uh Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so to see uh, a parent supporting their child, even though it's not their alma mater, it was nice to see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I, I don't know anything about this uh, recruiting class outside of <laughs> B. John Robinson is going to Texas. That's all I know. But uh, let's get to the important stuff, shall we? Let's get to the bowls. It's bowl season, and we are going to be going over the bowls up until Christmas Eve, and we're going to kick it off here, Nick, with the Bahamas Bowl, where Charlotte and Buffalo are playing, and Buffalo is favored by six and a half points. So how do you see this one playing out? So this one is got a, a few weird things surrounding it, and, and bowl season is a lot of people treat it Differently, I, I try not to get bogged down in narratives and and you know oh this team lost a 
lost its head coach, so they're uh, going to react this way, or, or you know, this team doesn't want to be there, so they're going to lay an egg, or you know, this team is the more motivated, and and I think it it's you know that sort of stuff is just too dangerous. I, I like to uh, first of all, uh, Bill Connolly uh, has uh, wrote a uh, uh, something for ESPN earlier this week where he, he took a look at, you know, what do the numbers say on if a head coach leaves and, and how that team performs in the bowl game. And and basically his conclusion was we can't draw a conclusion. I mean, the, the numbers just, you know, basically hit 50-50 on uh, numbers against the spread and, and things like that. So either it doesn't have an effect that we can really uh, point to or, um that effect, whatever it is, is already taken into account by the odds makers in the market. So uh, I, I think that's just sort of first and foremost, uh, I, I'm not going to to speculate on this team is more motivated. This team is, you know, going to react in a, a good way or a bad way because they're a coach left or, or anything like that. So uh, that being said, there are additional factors, certainly. We, we can't get away from that. And playing a, a football game in the Bahamas is is one of those factors. I mean, you're, you're, uh, you have to take a, a, a sort of a, a long play, plane ride, especially if you're Buffalo. Uh, you're going to be playing in, I think it's a, a cricket uh, facility. Uh, you know, the... the, the, uh, the um, uh, the sod, I think, was an issue a few years ago. It's got to be better uh, than playing in anything in Buffalo in December, though. I'll say I would, I would expect <laughs> from a, from just a, a comfortability standpoint, yes. But you know, what, what what's the field going to be like? We don't know. I, I hear the winds are going to be really high. That's something to take into account. All that said, our, our numbers don't really you know take those sort of things into account. But what we can say is Buffalo is is not a very talented team. They rank 116th in our roster strength ratings. Jarrett Patterson, the running back, is very, very good. Uh, he had a, a, a just an incredible end of the season where he had like five rushing touchdowns in the season finale, something like that. So uh, he's he's incredible. But outside of that, uh, this just you know, player for player is not a very talented team. Charlotte actually has a edge in roster strength, pretty significant. We have the, the 49ers 85th in roster strength, but uh, Buffalo has a huge edge at head coach. I do think Will Healy is going to be very, very good. He's done some very good things in his first year at Charlotte and, and before that Austin P. Uh, and he's young and energetic and all that. But Lance Leopold is a top 25 head coach, according to our Rating. So uh, we do think that Buffalo uh, should win this game, but we think that the, the talent uh, edge for Charlotte actually gives the 49ers a chance to keep this very, very competitive. So uh, we have the final score here is Buffalo 27, Charlotte 24. I would expect a lot of uh, a lot of runs here. Both both teams, especially if the wind is going to be uh, an issue. Both teams have strong running games, strong running backs. Uh, Benny LeMay at Charlotte is somebody that that you need to know. Chris Reynolds, the quarterback, is is a, a good runner as well as a passer. Would expect his uh, agility and, and his speed to be a, uh, a factor uh, in the run game as well. So I think Charlotte will keep this close, but our numbers do have Buffalo uh, getting a close three-point victory. Xavier, how do you see this one going? Well, when you look at both teams, um, obviously – 
you know, I think you can throw pretty much the talent factor out of the window, in my personal opinion. Um, I think that these teams are evenly matched, which is why our score is so close. Um, but I'm gonna go. Off, I'm gonna go with Buffalo. I think that the team is currently the more confident team, coming off of they won the last three of the four games that they played, and um, the only loss that they had was to a Kent State team by three points. Um, in that time frame, the defense really stepped up. Um, they they held two opponents, Bowling Green and Eastern Michigan, under 20 points. Um, and the offense really clicked down the stretch, you know, putting up uh, 40 plus in the last four games, and um, 40 plus in three of the last four games. And um, I think going into this game, obviously, what Nick said about being playing in the Bahamas, I mean, I'd like to be in the Bahamas during Christmas time. I don't know about you guys. Um, <laughs> but I think that Buffalo is the more confident team. They're definitely the team that's rolling right now. Uh, three of the four, like I said, just winning three out of the last four. Offense is clicking on all cylinders. And they're playing a Charlotte team who's been up and down this year. When you look at their schedule, you know, they started off 1-0. and um, Then they got thrown into the fire playing App State and Clemson in the next two of the next three weeks. And that really kind of hurt them as far as uh, their confidence. And down the stretch, they've been able to right the ship a little bit, um, when literally winning four, uh, their last four games to become bowl eligible. Um, but in that time frame, those games were very close against teams that they probably shouldn't have been as close to. Teams like UTEP and Middle Tennessee, both of which are aren't playing in bowl games. And I think that right now, Buffalo is the better team. So I see Buffalo winning this game. All right, so we're going over to the Frisco Bowl. Kent State and Utah State. The spread here is Utah State by seven. The over is 66. But we did just see Jordan Love and Gerald Bright get arrested for marijuana possession. So we'll see if this line moves because of that. I assume it's going to. I don't know if there will be a suspension for those guys or what's going to happen uh, moving forward, but it seems like it could be something that impacts this game, Nick. So how do you see this one going? Well, I think right before we uh, started to record, I, I saw a headline, didn't get to dive into the details, but it said uh, something along the lines of Jordan Love cleared to play. So uh, I think that that's good news if you're uh, expecting something from from Utah State in this game. His situation is is a little weird just in itself. I mean, he, he uh, had an incredible 2018 and came in with a lot of hype this year. I know a lot of the NFL uh, draft, uh, you know, talent evaluators, guys out there in, in the media uh, that focus on the draft were very excited about him, but also disappointed that he really took a step back in a lot of ways this year, at least statistically speaking. He threw uh, double-digit interceptions and, and just in certain games did not look comfortable, uh, had a, a real opportunity to sort of showcase uh, his his true potential against LSU this year, and, and it was arguably his worst game. And, and uh, so was a bit surprised, actually, I was, to, to see that he declared uh, for the draft. Uh, there were some reports that maybe he was going to pursue a graduate transfer or something like that, but instead just decided he's going to go ahead and and, and jump in and, and certainly uh, hope for the best for him. But uh, that was a, a little bit of a surprising uh, decision, uh, I thought. But, but he certainly has tons of potential, and it'll be exciting to see uh, him give it one last go here in, in this game. Uh, but, you know, I, I uh, first of all, uh, when when we did our final score prediction here, uh, which we do have Utah State winning this game, but uh, we at the time wasn't sure what Love's situation is, and I'm not sure what Bright's situation is either, but they do have uh, some depth at the running back position. But um, we didn't give Utah State a, a huge edge 
They uh, rank 92nd in roster strength. Our numbers have been really low on Gary Anderson. He ranks 103rd in head coach rating. They've been they've been decent. They they do uh, have a positive net yards per play. They've out outgained opponents by an average of 0.2 yards uh, per play. So that that is a positive thing, and they have ranked in the top half in the country in team performance. They come in 64th. So I uh, do think Utah State is the is the better team. Our numbers have been relatively low, lower probably than most uh, on the Aggies this year. But we really, uh, unfortunately, because Kent State has uh, really taken a big step forward in, in Sean Lewis's second year, uh, they were able to, similar to, to Charlotte, as Xavier uh, alluded to earlier, uh, finished very strong, won uh, several games in a row to become bowl eligible. They're coming in with a lot of momentum. They've done some really good things. They've got a, a talented quarterback in Dustin Crum who uh, is you know, capable of, of beating defenses with his arm or his legs. So they, they have some good pieces, but our numbers really just don't respect Kent State very much. They rank 108th in uh, team strength, which is, I believe, the second lowest of any bowl team they are just six and six they rank 115th in roster strength 102nd in team performance so they played like a uh, triple digit level team so our numbers really don't give kent state very much respect uh but we do expect them to to keep it relatively close and and part of that is because we went in and, and sort of hedged our bets a little bit is love going to play? So, so we kind of split uh, him and, and the backup there, and, and is Bright going to play? We we split those guys as well. So, uh, our our original number had this pretty close to the seven uh, the the seven point spread that that the odds makers currently have. Uh, but our final score prediction for this particular game, based on what we knew, uh, you know, uh, twelve hours ago, uh, was Utah State twenty eight, Kent State twenty four. Uh, Xavier, how do you see the Frisco Bowl playing out? This game, to me, I think it is one to watch. Obviously, if you're if you're a draft head like myself, I think Jordan Love is, is a, definitely a guy who, depending on this game, can start the train. Um, and that train goes from your last bowl game through the Pro Bowl through your Pro Day. I'm not at Pro Bowl, but uh, through uh, the Combine through your Pro Day. And if he can perform well in this bowl game, you know, I know it is, it's against Kent State, and I'll get to their defense in just a second. I still believe that, you know, he has an opportunity to get into the top three rounds in the NFL draft. Um, he's got the size, uh, obviously the arm talent, and uh, with, with currently the dual threat quarterback being all the craze in the NFL, obviously with guys like Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson being at the top of the MVP voting, he is he, he can slide in right there as a possible backup you know, or a guy who you see as a project for the future. Um, you know, and he's playing a Kent State defense that has not, and I repeat, has not been good. Um, even in their wins, they haven't been great. Um, and, and, the, and the wins that they have this season, they've only held one team under 20 points. And in the last four games, even in their wins, every team went over 26 uh, points against them, even in wins. Um, so this defense is one that gives up a lot of yards. They give up a lot of points. Um, which is good for Jordan Love, who down the stretch got beat up a lot um, by some by some formidable matchups. Fresno State, Wyoming, and uh, Boise State come to mind off the top of my head, and obviously that BYU drumming that they took in uh, in November. But uh, it's gonna it's gonna 
take for him to have a really good game for this Utah State team to win. He's playing a Kent State team that gives up a lot of yards and gives up a lot of points, so it's possible. Um, I think I'm going to take Utah State because uh, I think Jordan Love has the capability to get it done. Uh, so uh, Utah State is who I'm taking in this ballgame. Yeah, I would take them too. I would take Kent State against the spread, though. Uh, the New Mexico Bowl is San Diego State, a three-and-a-half-point favorite over Central Michigan, Nick. I don't like San Diego State in this game. They haven't played well down the stretch here. Juwan Washington is questionable. And uh, even though Central Michigan lost the MAC championship, I just feel like they're a slightly better team overall. Uh, how do you see this one going? I, I agree with you. This is the first of two that we'll talk about today. This is one of our uh, when we think the wrong team is favored. And, and that might really surprise a lot of people because San Diego State has a really strong record. But our numbers don't love the Aztecs. I mean, they rank 89th in roster strength. Uh, they actually have a negative net yards per play. They've been outgained on average by their opponents. I mean, it's it's almost zero. It's negative point. Uh, zero three, but but still, I mean, for a team that you know has an opportunity to to win double digit games this year, that that's not the profile that that you would expect. And and they have played very very good defense. They play, uh, you know, they they kind of grind it out, uh, sort of get get teams just in a, a good old fashioned uh, football, you know, uh, that we would expect maybe a generation ago type type game and and so uh for for that reason our numbers do not love san diego state on the flip side uh i probably should have really spoken up uh more throughout the course of the year but uh we were pretty high on central michigan in the preseason and this is a team that lost double digit games last year but they have a for the for the mac a very talented roster they're strong at the running back position quentin dormady uh a quarterback is a transfer uh from tennessee and then houston who who uh has played really uh quite well as a uh transfer uh graduate transfer there for for central michigan so was nervous about it in the preseason because i wasn't sure if if they were just being overinflated uh because of a a couple of transfers or, or guys that um had some pretty high ratings but we didn't see much from in in 2018 but uh, we did actually expect central michigan to uh, be a bowl team uh, in the preseason so it's good to see them capitalize on that had a great year won their division in the mac we actually give the chippewas a slight edge in roster strength they ranked 79th and uh, they rank in uh, borderline top 60 in team performance they they have a, an above average uh, they've they've played at an above average level this year so uh pretty pretty tight gap there with san diego state who ranks 48th and from a per play basis central michigan has been really really good they rank 29th actually in net yards per play they've outgained their opponents by more than three quarters of a yard uh that (laughs) might sound like gibberish to everybody but but that that's pretty good And, and uh top 30 in the country so we actually have central michigan as a slight less than one point favorite here, our final score prediction. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be low scoring. We have the Chippewas winning 21 20. Xavier, Chippewas or Aztecs in this one? I got to go Chippewas. Um, San Diego State just has not been impressive this year. You, lo- you look at their wins and all season, um, they have just not been all that great. Even in their wins, they won no game by scoring more than 26 points, or excuse me, 30 points, and that was against a New Mexico State team. Then the less said about them, the better. Um, yeah. they, they barely beat a Weber State team 6 nothing to start the year. 
Um, and, the, and like Nick said, they haven't finished all that strong either. You know, they they lost to Hawaii 14-11. That's a baseball score. Uh, they beat San Diego State. Thir- I'm sorry, they beat BYU 13-3 to end the season. So that's a that's a quality win. But none of their wins are impressive. And, and when you look at that, you're you're almost saying that, that you know when you play the odds that it's bound for it to break at some point. You know, maybe they just schemed very well. Their defense was maybe playing lights out and the offense hasn't been good. But we saw a similar team in Georgia play this way all season. And when they finally played a team that was capable offensively, they couldn't keep up. And that's why I think the Chippewas have the advantage here. Uh, This team has, you know, exploded in some games, putting up numbers like as high as 49 um, and going plus 44 times, five times this season, excuse me. Um, this offense is going to click, and if it does, San Diego State, in my opinion, just looking at you know the, the, their performances in this year's games, it doesn't seem like they have the offense that can go toe to toe with an with an explosive offense like uh, Central Michigan's. Uh, so I got to go with the Chippewas here. Uh, well, and, and I failed to mention Jawan Washington, San Diego State's best player, the running back, is questionable. So that offense isn't even at, at full strength. And, and uh, they do expect Ryan Agnew, the, the quarterback who missed their uh, season finale, regular season finale, to be mm-hmm. back. But Washington is questionable. So it uh, doesn't seem like the offense even is going to be at full strength from uh, the, you know, the relatively poor performance they put uh, together this year. Uh, going over to the Cure Bowl. Liberty and Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern is favored by five. I just can't pick Liberty in any bowl games, guys. I, I don't know about you. Um, I, I'm all about Georgia Southern in this one. In fact, I picked up Wesley Kennedy in my bowl bash uh, because Liberty can't stop the run at all. So uh, I really like Georgia Southern in this game, Nick. How do you see this one going? It, it's uh, This one is probably the toughest for me to figure out and, and our point spread has it just slightly a little bit closer than the current market. Uh, we have Georgia Southern winning this game by four. It's a cr- uh, contrast in styles. I mean, Liberty has some good pieces on offense. Uh, if you're a draft guy, I'm sure you know about uh, Antonio Gandy golden, the wide receiver there at Liberty has a lot of talent. Uh, Georgia Southern, you know, shy words is, is an exciting uh, option quarterback. Wesley Kennedy, you mentioned is very, very explosive when he uh, he missed the first few games of the year, first four, I think, because of uh, an academic issue. But once he returned and, and Shywerts was healthy, he missed some time earlier in the year as well. Once those two guys were together and on the field at the same time, this offense sort of uh, took it up a notch. They're the only team that beat Appalachian State. That's certainly something you know worth noting. This is a team that can compete with talented offenses. Um uh, from a, from a net yardage standpoint, Liberty has a big edge here. They've outgained their opponents by an average of about two thirds of a yard per play, while Georgia Southern has been outgained by about a third of a yard per play. So that's a that's a pretty big gap. 42nd in the country to 91st. But then in head coaches, believe it or not, we actually have Hugh Freeze uh, as a big disadvantage here he ranks 102nd in the country as far as his head coach rating uh just he did build a lot of talent talented teams there at Ole Miss but from uh, some of the numbers that we took a, a really close look at underachieved in a lot of ways and and Georgia Southern on the flip side 
is almost never at a uh, talent advantage. They do have a slight, slight talent advantage uh, in this game, according to our roster strength, but hardly ever. Uh, but Chad Lunsford there, the, the head coach, just in his second full year, ranks 44th. So that's probably the difference here. Uh, Georgia Southern, we have uh, winning this game 31-27. Xavier, are you on Georgia Southern as well? Unfortunately, as a state uh attendee yeah i'm gonna go george southern here they just in my opinion they're they're just the better team um and and nick i know you talked about them being in the negative um in the stat that you pulled up but they did play lsu and minnesota this year that's can skew that a lot especially with lsu putting a 55 spot on them to start the year off um and the the losses that they have this year are to good teams uh louisiana lafayette minnesota lsu arkansas state and troy all very formidable teams yeah uh, you know, all very good teams. Um, and, and those, you know, for me, uh, watching Georgia Southern very closely, I'm going to just go have to go with uh, the Eagles. Uh, no disrespect to Liberty, but when you look at the competition level as well, Georgia Southern also has that in their, in their wheelhouse to also give me a little bit more confidence. So, I, I disrespect Liberty. With disrespect, <laughs> I take Georgia Southern. Uh, Florida Atlantic and SMU are playing in the Boca Raton Bowl, another bowl we'd love to be a part of. Um, Southern Methodist SMU favored by three in this game. We did see Florida Atlantic, uh, just, uh, pour on UAB, but UAB was pretty banged up, uh, in, in that championship game. So, uh, what do you think of this one, Nick? I, I think I kind of like, I think I kind of like SMU in this one. Shane, Shane Bouchelle and a defense that occasionally shows up, I Bias. think can win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, this one, this one is interesting. A couple of 10 win teams, uh, Florida Atlantic looked uh, just super explosive against UAB, just completely dominated that game last week in the Conference USA, or two weeks ago, Conference USA championship game. So uh, they are clicking, but they did lose their head coach. And and mm-hmm. I talked, obviously, at, at the beginning about how we don't read too much into that from a narrative perspective, but we do incorporate head coach rating. And so, you know, roughly 30% of our overall team strength power rating is head coach. And and when you've got an interim who doesn't have a track record as a head coach, Glenn Spencer, the defensive coordinator there at FAU is stepping in. We had to give him a generic 75 rating. So that's a a bit of a drop. It's going to uh, impact their number. Uh, they are now, as far as our overall power rating, it's number 70 in the country. With Lane Kiffin, they were knocking on the door of, of the top 50. So uh, this would have been a, a closer projection if, if Kiffin were there. But we've been very high on SMU all year. They are actually 29th in the country in our team strength ratings. And, and we were uh, you know, much higher on, on SMU coming into the season than a lot of people. They made us look pretty good there for, for a, a portion of the year. I, I know there's been some thought that they uh, perhaps were overrated when they got into the, the top 25 there and, and started out something like 6, 7, and 0. Uh, but... They've held pretty strong as far as our numbers go. This is actually a top 20 roster, believe it or not. And they've played at the level of a top 25 team. They rank 24th in team performance. They rank 20th in roster strength. So for those two reasons, we actually have SMU as closer to a touchdown favorite. Expect it to be a fairly uh, high-scoring game. Uh, Shane Bouchelle and, and James Prochet, those guys uh, for SMU, we think are going to have a, a pretty big day and expect SMU to win this game 37-31. Uh, Xavier, are you on SMU as well? 
I want to be. I really do. Oh. Um, but their defense is just – it's so bad at times. You know, they, they gave up 51 to an East Carolina team who, yes, they have played well at different points of the season, but they finished 3-7. and seven. You know, this SMU offense is so explosive. They're amazing. So if this turns into a track race, obviously I'm going to go with SMU. But do I think that Florida Atlantic's defense can get stops? Because if they can – then I think they have a really good opportunity here to, and I, you know, they're both 10-win teams, but I guess we could call this an upset, especially without their head coach. So I'm going to go Florida Atlantic. I think that SMU's offense is not going to be able to carry them in this ballgame. Um, I think we saw um, in the Navy game that, you know, you can if you can make some stops against SMU, then it puts them behind the eight ball because their defense cannot hold up for four quarters. They have not shown it all season. Um in, in games that where it mattered. So I, I'm, I'm going to take Florida Atlantic here. I'm going to go against the grain. Uh, in the Camilla Bowl here, this is a great matchup for Florida International because they are sixth in the nation at stopping the pass. Arkansas State, obviously a pass-first team, and they are favored in this mm-hmm. game, Arkansas State, by two and a half points. I like FIU in this game, though. We saw them beat Miami earlier this year. I think they're going to be able to run the ball on Arkansas State, control the clock, and uh, beat them quite frankly, in the past game, uh, which not many teams have done against Arkansas State this year, Nick. But I've got FIU in this game. And uh, while I think it should be close, I, I still got to go with FIU, even though they're favored by they're, they're getting three points. I'm taking them to win this straight up. Yeah, and our, our numbers agree. And this is the second where we think the wrong team is favored. FIU uh, is, a, is a decent team, but they did underachieve according to our projections. For most of the preseason, we had FIU as, as the number one team in Conference USA. And, and I think our official preseason projection actually had them as number two, but we were pretty high on FIU coming into the year and they sort of stumbled coming out of the gate and, and they did do some good things. The win over Miami was uh, probably the, the biggest in program history. I mean, lots to celebrate. They took Marshall to overtime in the regular season finale. Uh, so this is a good team capable of competing against uh, some very talented teams. And and I, I really like that you brought up the pass defense. I was looking at that earlier today, and, and I had no idea that FIU ranked so high in pass defense. I mean, that, if you're going to, you know, want – to win a matchup or, or want to have, you know, somebody uh, that can stop Arkansas State, at least on the surface, statistically speaking, it seems like FIU might be that team. And, and the Red Wolves have been very explosive on offense. They, they've had to deal with, uh, you know, their starting quarterback this year, Logan Bonner, got injured. But Lane Hatcher, former Alabama walk-on, who uh, was immediately eligible when he transferred to Arkansas State, they haven't missed a beat. In in a lot of ways, they actually have gotten better. Hatcher ranks in the top 10 as far as uh, passing yards per uh, attempt. Uh, He, I think, ranks sixth and and is very, very close to that uh, 10 yards per pass attempt uh, margin uh, or sort of uh, threshold. So he's been very good. Omar Bayless, All-American receiver, has been phenomenal, and and he's not the only one. I mean, Kirk Merritt arguably is more talented than Bayless. He has not been as productive this year, and Bayless has been great. Very physical, a lot of fun to watch, so keep an eye on him. But Kirk Merritt is is potentially just as good and and just hasn't quite uh, had the numbers, and and they've got some other guys, some depth at that position as well. Uh, But FIU... 
we think uh, that they are going to be able to compete offensively. Arkansas State certainly is is capable of putting up uh, 35 points, but FIU matches up pretty well because they have a pretty strong running game. They do have uh, some some strength at the quarterback position as well, but Arkansas State is very very susceptible to the run. They are they rank among the worst in the country in rush defense. So I think this is a pretty good matchup for, for FIU. If you're going to, uh, you know, play Arkansas State and, and compete them strength for strength, FIU matches up pretty well in those areas. So we actually, this is our highest scoring bowl game projection of the uh, the bowl season, believe it or not. But we have FIU getting a, a close upset victory, 37-35. Xavier, are you going offense or defense here? I'm going offense. Um, I, I I was I have been completely conformed uh, after watching LSU destroy our defense, but um, I think that now watching Arkansas State closely this season, that offense is ridiculous. Uh, they're three deep at receiver. Um, they they when you don't they're bad against the run. So you're right. Um, and FIU is a solid team against the run, but I don't think that FIU can FIU, excuse me, can go in a track meet with Arkansas State, and that's exactly what Arkansas State is going to try to turn it into. And you know, it's one thing to be good against the pass; it's another thing to to, to when you play good passing teams. You know, when you when you go down the list of who FIU has played this year, none of them say you know or or instill this idea that they were an amazing passing team. Uh, you know, UTEP, no, UMass, New Hampshire, uh, you know, maybe La Tech, uh, Charlotte, no. None of those teams really make me think, okay, this team was it, it has a great passing attack like Arkansas State does. And so, yes, they may be sixth against the pass, but is that due to the fact that the conference that they play in or if they're actually that good? And we'll learn in the bowl game. But I'm going to have to go with Arkansas State here. When you're that deep at receiver, even if you are that good against the pass, six, four receivers are supposed to be better than five, 11 corners. Yeah, and, tell that you know, to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got more than just those problems going on down there, but I'm going to go with Arkansas State here. Uh, how about the Las Vegas Bowl? We get into some serious action here. Boise State and Washington. Washington favored by three and a half, Nick. Uh, I like them in this game. I, I think the talent just matches out. I know they're missing some uh, pieces. Hunter Bryant going to the NFL. Uh, I think there's some other pieces out as well for Washington, but I still like them in this game. Yeah, I, I agree. Our numbers agree. This is one of our biggest edges uh, of the bowl season, and that might surprise a lot of people. But uh, Washington, despite their record, and, and seven and five is certainly disappointing. We expected this team to uh, be in the mix for the Pac-12 championship and potentially even make a playoff run. But but they've lost some games they weren't supposed to. Uh, but this, from a roster strength standpoint, and even with those guys out that, that you mentioned, they're, they're going to be without two starters on the offensive line. That's certainly a concern. And then Hunter Bryant, who's one of the most athletic, uh, most talented tight ends in the country, they're going to be without those guys. And, and that's going to hurt. But even taking that into account, Washington ranks ninth and roster strength. So just from a pure talent standpoint, the Huskies have a huge advantage. Boise State ranks 86th. And part of that is Boise State uh, is a pretty young team. In some ways, 
it, it could be argued that they overachieved this year going 12 and one. And they've been very, very good. They're playing at a top 25 level. They're ranked 23rd in team performance. They're ranked 27th in net yards per play, uh, which is better than Washington. Washington ranks 35th in net yards per play, but the Huskies actually ranked 21st in team performance. So even though they uh, have lost five games and, and you could argue that, you know, they probably should have only lost maybe two. Um, they, they, you know, certainly did stumble at times when, when we didn't expect, but even taking that, those things into account, looking, diving deeper into the numbers, diving deeper than the box score. This is a fringe top 20 team as far as the way they've played on the field. And for that reason, we give Washington a pretty big edge. We have them as a nine point favorite. Uh, so, it, you know, as a, as a three and a half point favorite, we expect good things. If you want to go into the motivation narrative, you can think of, oh, they want to send Chris Peterson out uh, on a high note and, and all that sort of stuff. We don't really take those things to, to account. But uh, based on our, our roster numbers, our team performance numbers, those type of things, we have Washington with a pretty big edge here and expect the Huskies to, to get a get a win. Are you on the Huskies as well, Xavier? Yeah. Uh, when you look at their losses this year, outside of the Stanford loss and the Colorado loss, every other one you can honestly say probably expected it when they lost to those teams. Oregon at home and Utah at home, both of those teams end up in the Pac-12 championship game. Um, you know, Obviously, they had the head-scratcher against California to start the season, but we got to remember that this Washington team, for a lot of people, was picked in the top. To, to, to challenge for the Pac-12 earlier this year. And although their record doesn't say it, you know, as Nick alluded to, the talent is still there. Um, you know, Jacob Eason, if this is his last game in Washington, he's going to want to go out with a bang. He hasn't declared yet, but, you know, you never really know depending on how the kind of game he has and what the NFL is saying about his draft stock right now. Um, and, and you're right. You do have the motivational factor in Chris Peterson's last game. And when you have those kind of things with kids, they tend to play harder. Uh, so I've got Washington here as, as overall the better team, and they should go ahead and get the W. Uh, going over to the New Orleans Bowl, UAB and App State. This is one of the bigger spreads of bowl season. App State by 16. I mean, UAB is beat up. I just think that this is an easy App State victory, right, Nick? Well, I I don't know, and this yes, is, you do. You know, I don't. you oh, know, I don't. it's App State gonna smoke yeah. UAB. Let's be honest. Come of, on, you know. Okay, so so two two things. <laughs> App State early on in the Sun Belt Championship game, and it's probably the other than the Georgia Southern game, which I didn't get a great impression of App State. Obviously, that that was the one they lost, uh, but that was the the game that I watched of theirs closest in real time. They looked incredible in the first half against uh, Louisiana and was very, very impressed. UAB, on the flip side, I, I got to see them probably the, the most and the closest I've watched them all year, uh, looked horrible against FAU. And my eyes and my, and my, you know, my, my personal belief, I certainly agree App State should be heavily, heavily favored here. It makes sense this is one of the biggest point spreads we've got but then diving into the numbers uab there are a lot of things to like i mean they are at a huge talent disadvantage uab ranks 108th in roster strength i think that is the lowest of any bowl team um with the with actually uh with the exceptions of buffalo and kent state so uh not a talented roster but we we do think that this has been uh, a solid top 60 type 
team. They rank 59th in team performance. App State's top 20. That's a huge edge. But net yards per play, UAB is fringe top 25. They are outgaining their opponents by almost a full yard per play. And a lot of that has to do with the strength of their defense, but a lot of that also has to do they have played what some uh, numbers have have shown to be the weakest strength of schedule in the country. So I'm at a bit of a loss here. I, I have to be honest. Our numbers do really like head coach Bill Clark at UAB, give him a huge edge, obviously, of the first time promoted offensive coordinator who'll be taking over uh, for App State. So I don't know that I really trust our numbers here. It, it spits out a huge edge, or actually our second biggest differential, point differential in our projected point spread to what the market says. Uh, but I don't know that I trust it. We have this as, as uh, tighter than a touchdown. We do have App State winning, uh, but only by six, 34-28. I think it's it's clear that App State should be a favorite and a heavy favorite. So I wouldn't go crazy here if, if you think that there's a huge edge and UAB is going to cover and, and whatnot. I don't know that I trust it. So all that said, we do have uh, UAB keeping it close, uh, but App State winning 34-28. I mean, maybe a little time to get UAB healthy, Xavier. Does that get them back no. in it? No. no? This okay. game is no, absolutely not. App State should be favored by more because they are the better team. Yeah. Uh, just point blank, plain and simple. If it wasn't a, a loss to Georgia Southern away, we might be talking about this team representing the G5 at, at, at a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, let's be honest. And although that, yes, you do, you know, they are ranked 20th. And at times this year, they have looked susceptible to some, in some games. This is a team who beat UNC on the road. And this is a team who also went, I'm, I'm sorry, and, and beat South Carolina as well. There is no way, shape, and form that I am going to pick UAB in this ball game. It's at a neutral site field. App State is the better ball club, and although they have a different, it's a coaching change. I don't see anything changing as the result of this game. App State, uh, Gasparilla Bowl, Nick. This one even worse than the uh, App State UAB Bowl. Yes. UCF and Marshall. UCF is favored by seventeen and a half points. Sixty-one and a half is the over. Uh, this is an easy UCF victory to me. I would take the under on that total. I don't think it goes that high because I don't think it honestly needs to. I think that uh, Central Florida moved the ball all over Marshall and come away with this win. What say you? I, I'm in agreement in, in a lot of ways. And, and this one, I'm surprised and, and I don't know if impressed is the right word, but because, uh, you know, I, I Obviously, the the guys that uh, the odds makers are are uh, very smart and and know what they're doing most of the time. So I'm I'm a little bit impressed that this spread is as big as it is. I thought when I uh, first ran our numbers and and we actually uh, all of our patrons we we did release uh, our projected point spreads about a, a full day before uh, they were uh, posted and. Uh, I, I was feeling pretty good that we had UCF as about a two touchdown favorite. Um, but the fact that it, it's 17 and a half is, is kind of like, wow, because our numbers are, are very high on UCF. And despite the fact that they've lost three games and, and, you know, had a couple of head scratchers, the Tulsa loss for sure uh, was the big one, but uh, UCF, it, it, we're very high on them. They rank 16th in team performance. They have outgained their opponents by 2.34 yards per play, which is seventh best in the country. 
UCF is a good team. They are our number one ranked uh, group of five team. They come in 18th in our overall team strength rating. So maybe we're just completely wrong. And this UCF team is, is, you know, been a major disappointment, but uh, we're very high on the Knights. And I think coming into next year, there's a, there's a very good chance that they're going to be that top ranked uh, G five team again. So Marshall sort of on the, on the flip side, we were pretty high on them in the preseason, but they had some injury concerns. Uh, they've been a, you know, hit or miss. They've had some big wins. They played some teams well, uh, but they've also uh, underachieved. They had a chance to win, the division title and, and sort of uh, I believe they were upset by Charlotte and, and uh, lost that opportunity. So uh, it's a, it's a team that is, is fine. They're decent, but they're really, unfortunately nothing special. And, and UCF has been explosive on offense, but I think people would really be surprised at how well, uh, how highly they rate defensively. So Marshall is, is, you know, they can run the football, They've got some talented and, and intriguing uh, tight ends, but from an offensive overall offensive standpoint, it really just doesn't seem like they're going to be able to get much going. Our final score prediction does have uh, this is 38-24. That seems like maybe too too many points for Marshall. I would not be uh, at all surprised if this is something like a uh, 35 to 14, something like that. So I, I think. UCF has a very, very good chance to cover the 17 and a half, even though our numbers aren't quite there yet. Uh, I, I think this could be a blowout. Yeah, I think this one's a blowout as well. Xavier, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I think that UCF, as Nick alluded to, really were just some head-scratching losses away from being the representative in the, the New Year's Six Bowl for the group of five. Um, obviously, you know, the one, the Tulsa being the one that, that makes you scratch your head the most. Uh, but they played well against the teams that they did lose to. Pittsburgh on the road. They lost by one. They lost to a Cincinnati team that we both now know is a, is a very formidable Cincinnati team on the road. They lost by three points. Um, and you got to remember, this is all without their original starting quarterback, who obviously Mackenzie Milton was hurt for the year. There is one caveat, and I will say this. Marshall played in the Gasparilla Bowl last year. So does that mean that they come in with a little bit more confidence? You know, when, you, when you've been somewhere before, you play a little bit different. You Maybe you're a little bit more comfortable. You know, when they fly in, this isn't weird for them. A lot of people on the team would have been there last year. Um, and, 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 you know, no feeling of jet lag or anything like that. You know, you know I don't know. Crazy things happen when you play in the same place back-to-back season. So that's the little caveat I do have for Marshall. Other than that, it's all nights for me. Yeah. Uh, the last one we're going to talk about today, the Hawaii Bowl and what Xavier just brought up uh, is a huge factor in this because it's Hawaii versus BYU. BYU still favored by two points. I think they're the better team, but I'm taking Hawaii in the familiarity of this game. Uh, you know, they're at home. It's basically going to be a home game for them. I do think BYU uh, is the better squad, but I'm going to take Hawaii straight up in this game. Nick, what do you think? Uh, this one we we have as a virtual toss up. We do give BYU uh, make them a, a very very slight favorite, uh, but part of that is uh, the home field advantage. As you mentioned, this is one of two games this bowl season that uh, the home team is playing on its home field, uh, with FAU being the other. Uh, but uh, you know, one one thing to mention. BYU uh, is familiar with 
Hawaii. They they um, did play last year. The game was in Provo, so it's not you know the the exact same of of well you know BYU knows what it's like to to fly into Hawaii. Maybe some some of the players do. These these are teams that have played a lot over the the past few years. So there might have been. Uh, if if I went back far enough, maybe maybe we would find a, a trip to Hawaii, uh, but perhaps not. Trying to <laughs> trying to do it quick as I'm talking, so uh, it looks like they haven't played at Hawaii anytime recently. But there is a little bit of a, a rivalry factor here. These teams have played a lot over the past few decades. Were former conference rivals in both the Mountain West and and WAC, uh, but uh, really really you know. This, from a roster strength standpoint, these teams both rank in the 90s. Not a huge edge there. Team performance, BYU has been better. They are a fringe top 40 team. Hawaii ranks 70th. They both outgained their opponents. Hawaii has made some strides uh, defensively in in recent weeks, so that that is good to see. Uh, in some ways, it's, it seems like perhaps at the expense of the offense, which hasn't been as explosive in, in recent weeks. But uh, And the, the head coaches basically both have average ratings. They rank 61st, Nick Rolovich, and, and 62nd, uh, Kalani Sataki. So in a lot of ways, these are uh, very, very evenly matched teams. Both are, are pretty strong at the quarterback position. Uh, both have some playmakers at receiver, perhaps Hawaii, a little bit of an edge there. BYU, more talent on defense, has a pretty good uh, defensive line, most uh, specifically. So uh, see them really, really uh, evenly matched. Hawaii does get a bump for home field advantage, though it's also worth pointing out they have not traditionally played very well at home, at least in the past few years under Rolovich. So uh, whatever that means, I'm not sure. Perhaps uh, we're over, you know, the, the market is uh, maybe overthinking it with the Hawaii home field advantage. So uh, we see it as a toss-up. We have Hawaii covering, uh, but BYU winning 31-30. to 30. I, I, I don't really... I don't know. They're they're so evenly matched. It would not shock me. Any final score, probably. It could be, you know, Hawaii. Sometimes they get hot and they go out and, and beat a team that you weren't expecting. BYU. Obviously, we've seen them beat USC. We've seen them beat Tennessee. We've seen them lose to Toledo and USF. So, uh, both of these teams are kind of hard to to, to peg. If you uh, forced me, uh, based on my own opinion, who is going to win, I might side with Hawaii, but the numbers just give BYU just that very little edge. So uh, pretty much a toss-up. It'll be a fun game to watch, something exciting there on, on Christmas Eve when not much else is going on. Uh, but uh, we do give BYU just a, the slightest of edges uh, to win the game, but Hawaii to cover. What do you think of this one, Xavier? I like Hawaii. I think Nick slightly likes yeah. Hawaii. What, what are you? How are you picking this one? I do like Hawaii. I think that we do have to say that the home field advantage does obviously mean something in this game. Um, you know, when you're able to stay at home for your bowl game, that doesn't change your practice schedule. That doesn't change the way, you know, you travel or you eat or sleep or anything like that. Then it's a positive. It's always a positive, in my opinion. Um, and with this BYU team, you just don't know. Um, I'm, I'm going to go essentially with Hawaii because for BYU, I have no clue what BYU will get. Uh, like Nick said, they beat Boise State. They beat uh, USC. They beat Tennessee. They almost lost to Liberty. So, you know, uh 
I can't really put my finger on BYU, and and with that being the case, I'm then I'm not definitely not going to pick that team. If I can't put my finger on them, um, then I'm not going to pick them. So I'm going to go ahead and go with Hawaii um, at home to get to get a, to, to finish with ten wins, which would be a really nice uh, season for them um, and the Rainbow Warriors. Uh, and I know Nick would be happy about that as well. So, all right, well that is going to wrap it up for us today. Nick, tell everybody about the CFB Winning Edge Patreon. So we, we uh, do try to go somewhat in depth in all the bowl games and, and we'll do our best next week as well, though we have a, a longer list to get to. But if you want to see our uh, final score predictions for every bowl game all in one place, uh, check us out at patreon.com slash CFB winning edge. Those went out to our patrons today. We include uh, the final score prediction plus, uh, you know, which way we're leaning compared to the point spread. Uh, we do have a, a, a Google doc that our patrons can access that actually just lists out, you know, Hawaii plus two or uh, Marshall plus 17 and a half. All that, if you're interested in, in just seeing how our numbers compare to some of the other folks out there, or you know, if you're doing a bowl pool, something like that, and, and want to see how uh, we see every game at this point. And something that's different about us, if, if you're a first-time listener, uh, we actually do incorporate player-by-player uh, player, uh, roster uh, depth chart moves, uh, player ratings, all that sort of stuff. So everything that we've got, every uh, power rating and, and things like that that we've referred to at this point includes all the players that have declared for the draft and are sitting out, all the players that we know are injured and are not going to play. So that's something that that differentiates us from a lot of folks. If you want to see all of that, all 130 teams, every player rated and, and all of that, uh, join us at Tier 2 for uh, uh, our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. And uh, we're already working on 2020. So uh, you'll, you'll get a jump on that and, and get all of that, all those updates as soon as we get to them. All right. Well, that is going to do it. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Bogman Sports, at CFB Winning Edge, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And uh, enjoy your holidays, everybody. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.